Last week, I began a series of sermons for this Advent season called The Promises of Christmas. And last week, we looked at the first promise, the promise of hope. And we discovered that Jesus came to fulfill all of the hopes of the world and that he is our hope. We also learned that we're called as Christians to be hopeful people, to live as people filled with hope who share that hope with others, the hope of salvation, the hope of knowing Jesus Christ, the hope of coming to reconciliation with God. This morning, we're going to look at the promise of peace and how Jesus came to fulfill that peace. Let's join together in prayer. O Lord, gracious God, we thank you for the gift of peace, the promise of peace that Jesus came to fulfill. We pray, Lord, that we might experience that peace today, first in our hearts, and then sharing that peace in all of our relationships. We pray also, Lord, that as we leave this place today, that we might live as your peaceful people, as peacemakers, sharing the peace of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, with the world. And we pray, Lord, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Peace. What a powerful word charged with universal longing for harmony on earth. It challenges the mind and imagination. Everyone seems to long for peace. We speak of making peace between friends and relatives. We try to bring peace by arbitrating disputes. We even hold top-level summits to arbitrate disputes between nations, such as North and South Korea. Human beings have longed for peace since Cain killed Abel. It's a universal longing. You know, the theologian Augustine, centuries ago, wrote, Peace is so great that even in this earthly and mortal life, there's no word we hear with such pleasure, nothing we desire with such zest or find to be more thoroughly gratifying. Peace is so great that even in this earthly and mortal life, there's no word we hear with such pleasure, nothing we desire with such zest or find to be more thoroughly gratifying. Well, I'd like us to take a look at peace today, and I'd like to make three points about peace based on our text, and I'd like us to look at the promise of peace that Jesus came to fulfill. Now, as usual, if you'd like to follow along, there should be a sermon outline printed in your bulletin for your convenience. Uh, fill in the blanks. Consider what Christ may be saying to you this week, or if you prefer, you can follow along with a PowerPoint presentation. So, let's begin with the first point. First of all, peace seems elusive. First of all, peace seems elusive. Now, 
While the desire for world peace may be great, the possibilities for realizing world peace seem more remote than ever. They seem more remote than ever. And despite our so-called technological and scientific achievements, we're no closer to peace today than we've ever been. We'd like to think that we've advanced morally and spiritually. That somehow we've outgrown the notion of war. But while the external world may have changed dramatically, the world within the human heart remains ever the same, tinged by pride, greed, and lust, the seeds of war. You know, in some ways, we haven't advanced one bit, have we? We haven't advanced one bit. Let me illustrate that for you. On the soil of the battle-scarred hills of northern France, there are hills that are thick with the steel shells that have deeply penetrated those hills. Now, today's the great guns are silent. You can take a shovel and you can dig in those hills. And as you dig there, you'll find lying side by side the flint fist hatchet, one of the earliest weapons of our ancestors, next to the jagged fragments of modern explosive steel shells. Now, with the hatchet, our earliest savage ancestors could crush in the skull of his enemy. With the other, his more civilized descendant can blow his enemy to bits. There they lie as you dig them up side by side. The flint fist hatchet and the steel shell fragment. And the whole story of human history lies between them. A history of several hundred thousand years of human endeavor leading us age by age from one to the other from primitive to highly refined methods of destruction. How long will it be before the weapons, primitive or modern, will be beaten into plowshares? Well, that brings us to our scripture reading for today from Isaiah. You know, Isaiah promises and has the promise that one day people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nation will not lift up sword against nation Neither shall they learn war anymore. The promise of peace comes from the prophet Isaiah, who promises that one day people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. How we desire to live up to the promise of peace. But how? Where do we begin? Well, that brings us to the second point this morning. Second, Peace must begin with us. Second, peace must begin with us. Now, one place we begin is with ourselves. That's the place where peace must start. You know, several years ago, there was a book written by Evan S. Connell. Evan S. Connell called Son of the Morning Star, which is probably the most scholarly and complete account of Custer and the Little Bighorn. Now, it was a national bestseller, and Time magazine hailed it as a new American classic. Now, Connell's book actually covers the whole history of the Indian Wars in the West, a scope necessary to get the big picture as to what climax Custer and the Indians on those dusty hills of south-central Montana on June the 25th, 1876. It's a sorry chapter in American history. 
a period of unbelievable savagery when both white and red people reached the darkest depths of bestiality. You know, it's hard to imagine that such savagery happened on our soil almost 143 years ago. But it did. It did. Now, the author asked a pertinent question. How was Canada able to settle its western frontier without all the warfare and bloodshed that we experienced? His conclusion, that there was a fundamental difference of approach to their native peoples. A fundamental difference of approach to their native peoples. You see, in Canada, the attitude was treat the Indians honestly and there should be no problem. Now, what a novel approach. What a novel approach. The American approach was that it was up to the Indian to decide whether it would be warfare. Now, if they behaved themselves in a civilized manner, like us, there would be peace. Otherwise, the only good Indian was a dead Indian. And that's the source of our problem. You see, folks, as long as peace is left up to the other person, it'll never come about. In Canada, peace began with the Canadians. They took the peace initiative. In the U.S., peace was left up to the other person. And we're still reaping the whirlwind today from that tragic approach. Folks, peace has to begin with us. We can't leave it up to the other person. And the same is true for our nation. Now, unless you've been living on a deserted island the last few years, you know how deeply divided our nation has become. It seems like as an American people, we have been divided into warring tribes. The red tribe and the blue tribe. And the tribes are at war with each other. Turn on the TV, go to the internet, read the blogs, go to forums, and you can see it. You can see it in the language that people use with each other. You can see it in the way that people label each other and condemn each other and vilify each other. And you know, it's probably most obvious when we look at our government. Our government has become completely dysfunctional. Republicans and Democrats can no longer work together. In fact, they can't even talk to each other in a civil way. The same is true for progressives and conservatives. We become dysfunctional, and we're in the midst of a constitutional crisis right now. People cannot work together any longer. And you know, these divisions that we see in our government, we see in many areas of our life in America today. In fact, Many of these conflicts have filtered down into the church, haven't they? Look at the United Methodist Church. In just a couple of months, General Conference is going to be considering three plans for us to move forward into the future. One plan is called the traditionalist plan. A second plan is called the one church plan. And the third plan is called the connectional conference plan. Now... I don't have time to explain each of those plans to you. And I bet that probably most of you probably know what they are. I know that Doug, I think at the beginning of January, shared with you those plans and what they mean. The reason I mention them, and what's so alarming to me, is I have good friends who are pastors who support one plan or the other. And you know what? 
They won't hardly even talk to each other. They call each other names. These are pastors. Pastors. What does that say to us as a church? That we can't even talk to each other. And we talk about the peace of Christ during Advent. And we can't even talk to each other. There's something wrong there, folks. We don't have the peace that we proclaim. And that peace has to begin with us. It has to begin with us. There'll never be peace if we leave it up to the other person. We have to take the initiative and reach out first. We have to begin to build bridges. We're the ones who are called to be mature in Christ and to not be reactive and condemn others because they disagree with us. There's always going to be disagreements, folks. I guarantee you there's going to be disagreements. Now, I'm not saying that these differences aren't important. They are. And sometimes we may have to make, uh, take some difficult decisions. But that doesn't mean that we can't treat the people that we disagree with civilly and in a loving manner. You know, Paul said, speak the truth in love. And that's what we're called to do. Are we doing that with those with whom we disagree? You see, peace will never come about unless it begins with us. It has to begin with us. And what's true for ourselves is also true for our whole country. If we're to get past all the divisions in our country and in our church, then peace must begin with us. We must take the initiative of making peace. And that brings us to the third and final point, and the most important point of all. Peace comes from surrendering our will to Christ's will. Peace comes from surrendering our will to Christ's will. You know, the Hebrew word that's used throughout much of the Old Testament is the Hebrew word shalom. The Hebrew word shalom. Now, in our minds, the word peace usually connotes the cessation of hostilities or the end of war. We tend to think of peace as just the opposite of war when there's no fighting. But in the Bible, the word peace... Shalom means so much more. It means completeness, soundness, wholeness, welfare, salvation. Completeness, soundness, wholeness, welfare, salvation. Peace is that state of well-being or wholeness that comes as a gift from God. You see, it's not something that we arrive at or create ourselves. It must come from our ultimate source, God. You see, we can't draw from an empty well. Our peace has to come from Jesus Christ. He's the source of our peace. And we can never become instruments of God's peace and wholeness in the world until we experience that peace and wholeness firsthand within our lives. Mother Teresa of Calcutta expressed this thought well. I want you to listen to what she said. When she received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979... She spoke these words. I want you to listen very carefully. She said, all the works of love are works of peace. We do not need bombs and guns. We need love and compassion. We who have been gathered here must know that peace is learned so as to give it to others. Let us learn that unless we are full of God, we cannot give that love. We cannot give that peace to others. Unless we are full of God, we cannot give that love. We cannot give that peace to others. So said Mother Teresa. 
You see, when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, takes first place in our lives, then we can begin to experience true peace, God's wonderful gift of shalom. And the promise of peace can become a reality in our lives and in our hearts. Equally important, we can begin to share this gift of peace that Christ brings by sharing it with all in the world, by working for its realization. You see, we are the ones that are called to be peacemakers, but we can't do it on our own. Only Christ can provide us with that peace. Only Christ can provide us with that peace. You know, I want to close with a hymn that I'm sure that you've heard before. Many of you have probably sung it. But the real question is, even though we may have sung this hymn, even though we may have heard it before, how many of us actually internalize the message? How many of us live by those words? This hymn is very popular in a lot of churches this time of the year. You've heard it before. It's called Let There Be Peace on Earth. Let there be peace on earth. Allow me to share those lyrics with you again. They go something like this. And let this be our closing words. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. With God our creator, children all are we. Let us walk with each other in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me. Let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow. To take each moment and live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. May we truly live by those words this morning as we look forward to the coming of the Prince of Peace who entered this world to the tune of peace on earth, goodwill with those with whom he is well pleased. Peace on earth, goodwill toward those with whom he is well pleased. Well, in conclusion, peace begins with us when we surrender our will to the will of Christ. Peace begins with us when we surrender our will to the will of Christ. Whoever has the ears to hear, let that one hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen.